This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health, with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. You're listening to an Art House Roadshow movie review. My name is Hank. I am your host for today. I'm not joined by Kyle. This is just a movie review, but um, not of a movie, of a show, of Moon Knight, which I've been talking about doing for quite some time. If you've been listening to the podcast, checking out our Joan of Arc um, podcast on Easter or the Terrence Malick uh, Lent podcast, um, then you'll know that I've been planning this for a while, uh, even back to when I was uh, talking about our doing our uh, Star Wars MacGuffins. Um, All of those episodes are up, uh, by the way. The Star Wars MacGuffins that we've done and the uh, Terrence Malick and Joan of Arc piece. So this is much delayed. My original intention, I admit, was to cover week by week, but just due to some life circumstances, some illness and work-related stuff, I've not been able to get to this like I thought um, I would be able to. So here we are. So today I hope to... um, cover uh, the first five episodes which are out now on disney plus and you can check out um, on your own there will be spoilers so if you haven't watched any of those episodes please do uh, feel free to um, stop this and go watch those and come back when you're done love to hear feedback on this um, too but tonight i'd also like to kind of give an overview of moon knight maybe give a little extra detail for those interested in the comic book origin Um, as we head into our finale, which is next week. So next week we'll have a double feature with this, the Moon Knight finale, then also covering our um, new Marvel movie that's coming out, um, The Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange, which I will be seeing uh, when it comes out um, in theaters. Um, If you're looking for other material on the the podcast, as I mentioned, we have our Terrence Malick and Passion of Joan of Arc um, podcast up which are for the more art house um, friendly fans and we will be covering beast of no nation in may for those who like uh, more of the movie reviews and um, episode reviews there will be more star wars content we just dropped the original trilogy content luke and i will be back to discuss uh, the prequels the interquels the sequel trilogies um, all coming up and leading up to obi-wan Um, And there will be more Moon Knight coverage coming up as well. Uh, Just a little look ahead in the summer. uh, Kyle and I plan on doing some movie reviews together uh, to kind of bring us together. I know there's a couple movies out right now, uh, Everywhere All at Once, uh, and um, The Norseman, 
we'll probably get into a little bit. So be looking out for that stuff as well. So lots of stuff that you can be seeing on the podcast. Uh, just keep your notifications on and and uh, uh, on your, wherever you listen to podcasts or on our Twitter, and we'll always let you know when new episodes are dropping. But let's go ahead and dive into uh, Moon Knight. So this is um, I, I like to think of myself as a Marvel buff, but this is something that I am relatively. Um, not as familiar with Moon Knight property. Like, I mean, I know a lot of Marvel properties, but this is not one of them. <laughs> so, for example, um, you know, I, I knew quite a bit about Daredevil and uh, Spider-Man and the Avengers and even maybe some of the other lesser-known Avengers, but um, really this was one that I, I didn't even know about um, until very recently when Disney announced that they were going to do a series on Moon Knight. Uh, the thing that I've, if you're in the same boat as I was, um, the way that people will describe Moon Knight is that Moon Knight is kind of like the Batman of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he's a vigilante, right, who um, fights crime, but he has more of kind of a mythological world. And it's really interesting, um, this this uh, comic book character um first appeared in uh, 1975. Uh, he's kind of thought of by Doug Monchik and uh, Don Peril, Perlin um, in Marvel Comics, and he appeared in the comic book uh, Were Werewolf by Night. Um, what's interesting is there's a lot of representation issues um, happening here. Not bad issues, but representation happening here. Um, this um, series is largely filmed in Egypt. Um, a lot of the characters are um, Egyptian, uh, both in casting and in comic book, which is pretty cool for representation. But the main character, um, not the actor, but the actual character, Mark Spector, um, who is Moon Knight, um, is actually uh, the son of a, of a rabbi. And so you've got some religious um, differentiation, a religious representation too. Um, so that, along with the Miss Marvel show that's coming out in um, the, over the summer, where you'll see our first Islamic um, superhero, we're getting some very interesting kind of religious representation here, too, that I think is just worth mentioning um, for us. But um, in the comics, Moon Knight is, uh, and this is covered in the series, too, but Moon Knight is, is uh, basically... Um, a guy named Mark Spector, who is a Marine, uh, serves as a CIA operative, and then turned missionary, um, alongside a dear friend of his um, that uh, ultimately um, led to uh, to his death. Um, and uh, what's interesting is that through this uh, experience, um, he is left for dead, and... Um, basically um, is given a second chance by the Egyptian moon god, Khonshu. Um, and so Khonshu kind of gives him a second chance to be, um, instead of a mercenary who just kills people for money, to be kind of a good guy superhero that will protect the weak and the helpless. And he offers him the spot, uh, basically the role of Moon Knight, um, which is the Fist of Khonshu, which is something you hear in the, um, uh, in the, in the show as well. And so this kind of opportunity is to kind of redeem himself, um, 
and it is really interesting. Um, a lot of the early on, like in Kanchu, um, like talking about Kanchu, a lot of people thought Mark was like insane um, because of his experience as a mercenary, and he was not um, actually being contacted by an Egyptian god, Kanchu. But later on in the series, uh, once he kind of gets his own series, you actually see that uh, Kanchu is real. You're actually given access to him. Um, and so, yeah, um, one of the things that's really interesting that's true even of the comics, and, you know, this isn't apparent early on, but he's he has alter egos, alternate egos. Um, uh, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, um, and uh, kind of like a suited version. So if you look at Moon Knight, like, he, he looks very much like Batman, except, you know, like inverse. So Batman wears all black, has a cape, all that kind of stuff. Moon Knight is all white. Um, and so... Uh, he has this kind of cape and this armor that looks a lot like mummy wrappings, which is kind of cool. Um, and in the sh in the show, or sorry, in the comics, um, it doesn't kind of like the the suit doesn't like appear on his body, like he doesn't morph into it. Um, a lot of times, it's kind of like a suit that he puts on. Um, you see it in different ways. His powers are a little bit different too. Like in the comics, like it isn't always clear if he um, has like super strength or super healing. He definitely does in the show, so. That's something they're kind of adopting there for sure. But, you know, it's, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't in the comics. But um, one of the things that's really interesting about the show is that, um, and the, the comic, is that they kind of explore um, a dissociative identity disorder, uh, which is really interesting. Because in the comics, he has uh, different um, identities. Uh, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, like I said, but um, in the, even in the comics, it becomes clear later that he actually has this um, dissociative identity disorder, DID, or uh, schizophrenia in some stories. Um, and these, these alter egos are developed by, by Spectre as a way to, um, during his childhood, uh, deal with the trauma that he experiences. And, and I think they actually deal with that quite beautifully in the show. You know, since this... Um, podcast is unique in the sense that it covers things not only on faith but but mental health um, it's important to talk about representation for people who um, have a variety of um, mental um, and physical uh, accessibility challenges and so here we have a great representation of DID and we'll talk more about how they handle that in the show and and how it's beautifully I think done episode five really had some very moving moments that illustrated kind of like the complexity and the rawness of what it must be like to feel um to be inside of your body um with these uh dissociative disorders um but in some sense like the the challenge also in the in the story both in the comic and in the show is that it's unsure whether Kanshu makes or breaks kind of Mark's mind uh further um, or whether that is um, just a result of his DID, right? And so there's a lot of stuff here that's going on in the comic books. Like I said, I had never really engaged in the comics of um, Moon Knight, but I'm definitely interested now. I, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll say about like as I'm looking at it overall um, is that I, I, and this is just the dumb Marvel side of me. Oscar Isaacs, who plays Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, Moon Knight, and Mr. Knight, just does such a beautiful job 
with all of these characters, just showing like just such richness of diversity, even within one person. And I'm just so um, amazed <laughs> at what he's able to do. Um, and so, like, he... Um, but all that being said, and I wouldn't change that in, but there's just a part of me, maybe a, a more sinful part of me, that wishes I could see him more in the Moon Knight uh, armor and costume. We'll talk about why we don't see him, um, especially in the last two episodes, in that costume. Um, and even in the ones that we get him, like... And he's not in it for very long. And so the action sequences are pretty incredible with the Moon Knight armor and, like, the abilities of the character. And and I just wish that I could see that um, more. But like I said, this, this show is really cool in the sense that it's, it's uh, very located in, uh, like, uh, Egypt. It's, it's based off the Egyptian pantheon, which is kind of cool because... We're seeing more of the various religious deities, uh, or you know, I, and I use that kind of like um, in kind of quotes, not to say that it's like any kind of uh, dehumanizing or, or um, you know, uninspiring view of the gods, but like you know, we've seen Thor for a while; he's part of North North Norse mythology. Um, in the new Thor movie coming out over the summer. We're going to actually see the Greek pantheon, because uh, Russell Crowe is going to play Zeus. And then here, um, in this series, we actually get to see the Egyptian pantheon. And so Khonshu, for example, is um, voiced over by F. Murray Abraham, who's a, a famous uh, actor. He, he's in Amadeus. Um, and I think that... Uh, I, I've always liked him in a, in a variety of the roles that he plays. And he just does a great job as Khonshu. You never see him as an actor or anything like that um physically but he does the voiceovers for Kanchu and so that um uh that whole uh work that he does is just uh really really great and so um yeah so there's a there's a lot of things happening here um in uh in this show and there's a lot of great actors and representation that occurs um, through through this um, through this period, and so anyway, uh, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Now, there's more stuff too. Like, where does this fit within the MCU? That was kind of one of the questions that a lot of people are asking because Moon Knight's a very different kind of, um, for lack of a better term, tone. It has that kind of dark Batman grit to it. That a lot of the kind of more bright um, uh, movies in the MCU don't have. Um, but the thing that I've noticed about these Disney Plus shows is that they're not afraid to kind of mess with tone. So, I mean, case in point, for example, the the wonderful series that was WandaVision, which is actually my favorite MCU television show because it was able to kind of showcase some humanity and it was a very different kind of speed. There's some mystery elements to it, and I loved the sitcom feel. I I, I just can't say enough uh, good things about that show. Um, you know, and there's just that there's those sweet tender moments where you get to kind of see the pain of of Wanda not only mourning her loss of her brother um, with Vision, but also the loss of Vision. You know, that love story that is in there, and I just think that it's such a fantastic story to tell and I'm really excited to see what they do with this character going forward 
and they recently just announced that this is a bummer and so news if you don't didn't hear this uh they are not going to renew wandavision for another season i think it was a limited series and maybe whatever they do with her in the multiverse of madness will um tell us why maybe they're not going to do another uh wandavision um but it's a great show and um uh, you should check that out if you haven't watched it but moon knight you know has it fit in here and you know they've confirmed that moon knight is a part of the mcu they have those uh legacy kind of stories and tv series on disney plus now with the um defenders and everything like the um charlie cox daredevil and you know and even kingpin who themselves have now appeared in the mcu in their own way um they're very they're different characters in the mcu than they are um in those uh netflix shows now that are on uh disney plus so i think the thing that's really interesting about all of this is that um, it's very on the ground it unlike uh, some of those other shows that still would kind of mention the avengers and mention mcu characters or broader worlds this really doesn't you know like so for example the eternals felt very different than moon knight uh sorry felt very different than the mcu moon knight feels very different than the mcu uh the eternals did everything they could to mention that thanos happened that the avengers are around and things like that and so um it, it very much kind of wink wink nod nod we're still in the same universe as the avengers you don't get that at all at least so far in the uh, Moon Knight series through episode five. And I think that's kind of cool. Like there, there should be some freedom to tell these stories without having to constantly appeal to the MCU. Um, now Oscar Isaacs isn't really up for like, he doesn't have a contract that extends past this, um, series. And so it's interesting, um, to, to think what are they going to do with Moon Knight? Maybe, Maybe Moon Knight actually dies as a result of this show. Um, again, we don't know. Um, the, the next episode hasn't dropped yet, so I'd be very interested to see what happens. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, it would be very different for Marvel to kind of like do a one-off here and I, of, of this character, especially at a time where they, they need more characters. Um, with the loss of Iron Man and Captain America just being... Um, such a, a huge blow to them. And, I mean, the future of, of characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, um, Hawkeye, um, Black Widow is now no longer on the team, at least uh, Scarlett Johansson's version. I mean, with them losing all of those characters, they need to fill it in somewhere. And Moon Knight does, in the comics, connect with the Avengers at various times. He forms his own group. Um, also with Spider-Man... And a few other characters, and so I think that um, they should do something with Moon Knight and connect it to the larger MCU. Um, you know, and they've, they've not been afraid to do that in the shows already. I think that we'll see a lot more connection between the shows and the big screen with the Multiverse of Madness, specifically with WandaVision and even Loki. I think you'll see some more of that. Um, you'll definitely see Loki and Quantum Mania, I would imagine, um, as Kang the Conqueror is the main villain in that film, and um, you know he was there in the Loki series as well. And so, 
Um, I don't think it would be unprecedented for Moon Knight to make an appearance somewhere else. I mean, you even have the reverse happening. Yelena, um, who's from Black Widow, the movie, appears in Hawkeye. Um, and so they're not afraid to have these characters show up in um, our local um, little um, small screens. And I think that's great, because it really opens up a lot of possibilities. But the opposite happens as well. And so there's no reason for him not to show up there as well. Um, uh, you know, I'll talk about this at the end, but, you know, this is the representation, like I said, of not only um, Egyptians and, and faith representations, great, but I, one of the things I really love is the way that Oscar Isaac represents well just the, the, just the sheer humanity and vulnerability of DID. And I think that's... Um, really a testament to his acting ability um and um there's just this moment in the fifth episode where you kind of learn a little bit about how mark specter developed his multiple personalities where it comes from the pain that he's experienced that i just think is really powerful uh, on a personal note um i always loved egyptian kind of like history and architecture and um symbolic worldviews i always really enjoyed those things as a kid uh i remember in the egyptian kind of like section of, of world history when i was in um sixth grade um i i, I made this tomb um this kind of mum like this tomb of a of a pharaoh uh model as my class project and i was very proud of that and so like i i really appreciate this uh um, this turn to kind of some Egyptian pantheon stuff. So it's interesting. We got multiple sets of gods now. You got the Egyptian gods, uh, the Norse gods, and the uh, Greek gods. And so I'm interested to see um, how how all of this stuff interrelates and it should be kind of fun. But anyway, I, d I do want to do a quick rundown of some of the themes of the episodes just to kind of give us a sense of the arch. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty. That would take way too long. And so I, I do want to give those some brief summaries of the themes and things that kind of stood out to me um, that are important. And so, like, when we get to episode one, uh, you actually don't start with Mark. You start with Stephen Grant. Um, and he's kind of this weird, uh, hapless guy um, who, uh, you know, we see him working at a Egyptian museum. He's, he's, you know, falling asleep on people, very tired, that kind of thing. Um he basically works at the gift shop of this Museum of Egyptian History. His boss is a major jerk. <laughs> and um, he seems kind of down on his luck. And um, one of the tour guides... Because at first you think that he's a tour guide. Because uh, he comes in and there's this kid that uh, puts something in uh, this uh, model of uh, one of the pyramids. Egyptian pyramids. And he kind of starts showing him some of the architecture and some of the um, exhibits and things like that but his boss yells at him and, and makes him go over to um, his his post at the gift shop which is um, not the best but during that time he, he actually like the, he has this interaction with this girl who we really hadn't met before uh, come to find out she is a tour guide and she's actually going on a date with with uh, Stephen but um, Stephen doesn't remember asking her out on a date which is kind of the first sign that you get that not all is uh as it should be with um steven and um yeah it, it's at this point you know he goes to bed and and he like he locks himself in which is interesting like when you see him in his apartment he goes to this kind of ritual of feeding his fish calling his mom and kind of locking himself in his bed 
Um, which goes to show that maybe he he himself ha- like knows that he sleepwalks or has some kind of like sleepwalking tendencies, and so it's really interesting to kind of see him go through those motions, um, and I, I think that that's that's uh, kind of cool. And so um, it's during this time also that um, just before there's a introduction you you don't see his face yet, but of Ethan Hawke's uh, Harrow character, um, who we'll find out more in uh, subsequent episodes, but. You know, he, he breaks this glass at the very beginning of the episode and kind of pours it in his shoe, and he walks around. It looks like on in sandals filled with glass, which seems, you know, really painful. Um, but he's a he's a he's like the um, he he identifies himself as the avatar of Amit, uh, the servant of Amit, um, who delivers kind of divine justice. And Amit is like Khonshu, and we'll talk about here in a second a god of the Egyptian pantheon. And so, um, anyway, uh, yeah, don't, before we get too far down the Harrow lane, uh, before we actually meet him and see his face, um, you, you're you with Stephen, he falls asleep, and he wakes up, and he's in this random field somewhere. Um, his jaw has been dislocated, he's kind of on the ground, and he's in pain, and he's unsure exactly where he is. Um, it's at this point where he gets up, kind of fixes his jaw, which again, seems so painful, and uh, proceeds to be shot at by some people hanging out of a window, and there's this huge chase scene, and and the thing that's interesting about the next sequence of events is that there's moments where it looks like he's about to fall asleep, and then he kind of wakes up, and something bad has happened, but the audience hasn't really seen it. Um, So, for example, he's driving this truck, and he kind of starts to pass out, and... um, and he wakes up and, uh, you know, the people that were bearing down on him in this vehicle chase are now dead and the cars crash and stuff like that. In addition to kind of these lapses in time where Steven clearly is doing something to get himself out of this uh, predicament, like fighting, for example, um, bad guys or killing bad guys even, you know, doing something in his truck that will knock cars off the road. You, the audience doesn't see it, but clearly the audience can see that something has happened. And there's been kind of like a lapse in time that Stephen was not privy to. Now, what's interesting about that is that in addition to these kind of lapses in time, you start to hear this voice of F. Abraham, as I was talking about um, earlier. And he's the vo- it's the voice of Khonshu, we'll come to learn. Um, and he's very confused because uh, the voice is telling him to give up the body, and he keeps calling him Mark, and he's like, but my name's Stephen, all that kind of good stuff. And so... Um, Steven is in a bad way. Doesn't know where he's at, doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know how he's going to get out of it, but these weird things keep happening. And this is where he runs into Harrow um, in this period of time, too. And and you see Harrow kind of as this, uh, again, this uh, avatar in the some sense of Amit and the giving of Amit's justice. And so basically, like, Amit, another god, um, is, uh, like, gathering people together and and like he can grab your hands and like see into your future and see if you've um will be bad so even if you lived a a completely moral life and like in 20 years you're gonna murder somebody uh, just out of evilness in your own heart Amit can see it and if you hold this guy's hands harrow um Amit will see it the judge the scale will judge you as as bad and it will send you into the underworld and so it's a way of kind of dealing justice before it happens. So it's very much a minority report kind of in a different spiritual light as opposed to a uh, like a scientific kind of precog light. 
but punish the criminal before they commit the crime so that the crime never happens, right? Um, very interesting stuff. Um, but anyway, so Stephen um, gets in it with him, come to find out that there's a possession that Stephen had gotten, uh, apparently in the time when he went to sleep the night before in his bed and woke up and with his jaw dislocated, he stole this scarab that's supposed to lead the way to Amit. So Amit has been buried by the other gods and Harrow is going to release him so that Amit can do, you know, the thing that Harrow's doing with his hands, but on a larger scale, like judge, so that the crimes are never committed. It's really interesting stuff. And so um, Stephen makes his way back to um, his home and he even um, uh, is able to go on that date, uh, but lo and behold, what happened was is that uh, he, uh, the amount of time, because he wakes up, like he wakes up back in his bed, you know, you don't see Stephen getting on a plane and going back to England from wherever he is from, but um, what happens is, is he wakes up in his bed and he thought all of this was a dream. Uh, goes to the date, which he thinks is, is on Friday, and actually come to find out that he stood up his date, and it's two days later, and so he's lost two days' worth of time. And so he's really in the dumps um, about this, because it just seems like his life is out of his control. And in some sense, you really do feel like that. Like, if, if you're the guy who, or gal, who's just down on their luck, and just the worst keeps on getting worse, like like Steven will feel like a very familiar character to you. And I think that that's helpful um, for all of us to see, like, and just see the pain that he goes through. But uh, there's one more confrontation with Harrow. Uh, Harrow tracks him down in the museum that he works at. And actually, um, six to this looks like a uh, an Egyptian kind of Anubis dog after him. Um, and this is the first time you actually see a full-fledged conversation between Stephen and Mark. And so Stephen's in this bathroom, he's freaking out, and in the reflection in the mirror, instead of it actually mimicking whatever Stephen is doing, it is Mark talking back to him, and he keeps telling him to give him the body, give him the body, and and finally um, Stephen agrees to it. He doesn't really know what's going on. Obviously, he's starting to piece together that there's a part of his life that he's not aware of. Um, you know, so during this time he like finds a phone and, and that belongs to Mark and stuff like that and tries to figure it out. And there's very clearly this difficulty going on between, um, these, these figures, between these two sides of his mind. Um, and in this, but in this moment you actually see a full-fledged conversation where you see that Mark has an American accent, Stephen has a very, uh, distinguished British accent, and Mark is trying to save Stephen's life. And so I think that it's, it's really profound to see... Um, that kind of conversation. And so as the Anubis dog breaks through the bathroom door, um, he transforms into the Moon Knight for the first time and beats up the beats the dog to death with his bare hands, which is pretty um, pretty amazing to kind of watch. And so that's the first time you get a glimpse at the Moon Knight costume. Um, and so, yeah, that I mean, that's the first episode. I, I went a little bit more in detail on that one just because a lot happens in there that sets up the later episodes. Um, as you go into the second episode, one of the things that's interesting is that you kind of get to see more of Harrow, uh, which I think is really, um, really fascinating because one of the things that, like, I really like about this series is that they do a good job humanizing, um, Ethan Hawke's character. Like, you don't really feel, um, that he is really that bad, um, and a lot of times, I mean, sometimes he, he comes across as evil like he does, but they show the kind of a complex character. In this episode, you actually find out that Harrow 
was a former Moon Knight himself. Um, he used to be the former Fist of Conchu, which is it's pretty cool, interesting to to think of that. Like he used to be that way, and then um, he's very bitter about it. So Harrow actually finds out that Mark is has the split personality captured Stephen. Um, it's during this episode that we also meet Layla, um, who introduces herself as Mark's wife, you know, and she meets Steven and thinks that, because, you know, they look the same, it's Oscar Isaacs, um, that Mark is playing a trick on her, but, you know, it's like, no, no, this is, this is real, I'm, I'm Steven Grant, I'm not Mark Spector, like you think I am, and so it's interesting seeing her kind of come to that realization, but, um, Harrow actually captures Steven, you know, takes him to his, like, secret location, explains that he was once the fist of Conchu, but now he serves Amit, and that the justice that he deals out, so, like, for example, the, what the Moonlight Knight can do with, like, individual justice by taking out bad guys one by one by one after they've committed a crime, Amit can do on a large scale. And so he needs that scarab to go find Amit to set her free. Um, it's, it's decently compelling. You see a little bit more of the powers of Harrow at this point. He's got this, uh, Gold, like this uh, purple glowy staff, which if you are a fan of the MCU, you'll know that you should always fear perfect uh, uh, purple glows um, in that kind of way. Um, but during this period of time, you know, uh, Steven is trying to keep Mark from coming out now that he's aware that he shares a body with another kind of personality. He's a little bit more hesitant because of the violence that... Uh, that uh, he can bring out, especially in that uh, Moon Knight costume. And so you hear the inner dialogue in this episode a lot more between Steven and um, and Mark, and you see that displayed through like a conversation with the Reflective Services. Uh, much like in the bathroom, you'll see them talking back and forth. They introduce a new actual version of the, of the Moon Knight character in this with the Mr. Knight. So Moon Knight, if this is the Batman character, Mr. Knight is a... Is, it just has like a, a mask on and he wears a suit. And so like you, you hear the, in one of the scenes where, um, Har, uh, Haro actually sends like uh, some more of those Anubis dogs after, um, Steven and Steven's refusing to give up the body like he did last time to, to Mark. And, and so Mark's telling was like, you got to summon the suit. If you're not going to use me, summon the suit. And so he actually summons a suit, you know, a physical like necktie and, and blazer jacket, suit and there's kind of some comedy associated with this it has all the powers of the moon knight but it looks completely different and a little bit more sassy so it's kind of fun to see that um and the episode ends with um, steven kind of giving control over to mark again who will take over as moon knight um and beat up this anubis dog you see kind of for the first time the um basically the batarangs which for the moon knight is is uh, shaped like a crescent moon and things like that which is kind of fun so you see a lot of that kind of um, stuff going on in this episode. And at this point, Mark, when he's out, he actually traps Steven kind of outside of his body so he can't really control it. Um, anyway, uh, very interesting stuff. Mark will kind of take over as the lead character going into episode three. Episode three, uh, more focused on kind of finding Amit. So basically the uh, um, the scarab at the, in that battle that... Uh, uh, Steven and Moon Knight have with this um, dog. Um, Harrow is able to get the scarab that'll lead him to Amit, and so Mark decides to take Layla on a little mission to try and beat them there, so that he can defend them off, like fend them off, and and keep them from letting Amit go. Conchu is very adamant about this. Um, 
it's also during this time that you learn that once Khonshu is done with Mark, he plans to use Layla. And so in some sense, you can see why um, Mark was estranged from Layla. Um, when they introduced her in episode two, she seemed very mad at Mark because she hadn't talked to him in several months. And it sounds like one of the reasons for that was that Mark didn't really want Khonshu to recruit her because he knows how horrible it can be to have Khonshu telling him where to go and who to kill and all that kind of good stuff. And so um, he doesn't really enjoy that. I think that's that's pretty interesting. And so um, there's a lot of good stuff that goes from here on out, um, which I'll, I mean, I'm going to cover briefly and then just talk about some of the overarching themes that I really love about spiritually, especially with mental health. But um, they go out there and try and find him. Um, and they run into actually an interesting character named Anton, who's played by um, Gaspard, um, uh, I forget his last name, but he's an actor who actually recently died at the age of 37 in a skiing accident. And so this is one of his last kind of acting performances, which is um, really tragic because he, he does a great job. Uh, Moon Knight feels, steals this uh, um, map kind of of the stars that will lead him to where Amit is at. Um, and one of the interesting things about this is that you learn that Steven's character isn't just this sniveling weakling. He's actually really smart. He knows tons about Egypt. Um, you see that a little bit in the first episode where he's kind of telling that kid about the dis like the displays and things like that. But my goodness, like he's actually able to help decipher kind of star maps. And in episode four, even he's he's able to kind of help discern hieroglyphics and different Egyptian patterns and things like that. Like he's very gifted in kind of his knowledge of Egypt. Um, but episode three, they try and find this map that will lead them to the, uh, to the tomb of Amit so as to beat Harrow there. And they run into this guy, Anton. There's this really great fight scene with, uh, Moon Knight where you can see a little bit more of his powers, like his armor is bulletproof. He can launch bullets back at people. Um, you see him get stabbed through by spears, but be okay. So there's this healing factor that's associated with the armor. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, they, again, they don't succeed because the, the star map is for, you know, a, a sky, uh, several years ago. And so during this period of time, um, they're kind of getting desperate. And so Mark and Steven talk to Khonshu, who they can hear, but Layla can't. And they're like, you really need to do something. And so Khonshu tries to call the gods like Osiris and, you know, all the, uh, Egyptian kind of pantheon to come together to do something about Amit, but they are either ignorant or just unwilling to help, and they really threaten Khonshu, because Khonshu is banished from the Pantheon, that's hence why he's on Earth, kind of carrying out justice one by one. And they say, if you do anything to kind of threaten the world, um, then we're going to imprison you in stone. Um, and Khonshu's like, just bring forward my former avatar, and he'll explain, you know, he's working for Amit, all that kind of good stuff, and they, they do that, um, but you know, Harrow is able to convince them that he's innocent. And it's interesting because you'd think of, like, the gods would be omnipotent. Um, but I like that in some sense because even with, like, the Norse gods, like, they can see a lot, but they can't see everything. I think that's kind of interesting in, like, their own division of the gods, too, of the Egyptian gods. They can't really see everything as well. So anyway, it's just, it's interesting to kind of catch all that up. Um, lo and behold, though, Khonshu does something that is going to get him put in stone. And when he does, that means Mark and and Steven lose their ability to access the suit. So they're kind of on their own. The next two episodes, in fact, you don't get any appearances of the Moon Knight armor. 
and maybe that's why I'm feeling a little withdrawal from it. Like, I, I would love to see <laughs> more of, of that action sequence. Because I think the suit actually looks pretty awesome. Like, I'm I, I'm really impressed with how it looks and how they were able to kind of bring it across. But um, the, the other gods are unclear. Like, they're unable to work on Amit, but they are able to imprison him in stone. And so, you know, Khonshu, as he's kind of, like, going into the void... Um, tells Mark, like, hey man, come free me when you're done, <laughs> and that kind of stuff, and so he's left to face Harrow on his own with no powers, and Layla at his side. Uh, the fourth episode kind of moves into the, the drama of that, them going to find Amit's cave, we see another kind of, like, spooky Egyptian, I'm guessing mummy priest, who embalms, um, someone that they catch down there as, uh, Harrow is trying to find uh, Amit's former avatar, because the av former avatar is the one that's going to set him free, which is interesting. Uh, spoiler alert, they actually, it's its actually uh, Alexander the Great, who thought of himself as kind of like a pharaoh, an Egyptian. Uh, it's interesting, uh, just for history nerds, but uh, bears no relevance on the MCU, <laughs> I'm sure, overall. Um, but Steven is used primarily in this episode, so if the last episode was primarily Mark, this one's primarily... Um, Steven, because he knows all the stuff about Egypt. And so he goes down there with Layla, and they kind of get into it. Uh, they find the tomb, and they're about to, you know, find this, the, the, the way to release Amit. And um, what happens is Harrow catches up and, and shoots him. And there's it goes to this place uh, where Mark is kind of trapped in a psych ward, and um, you're kind of left wondering whether or not he's waking up from some type of hallucination into the psych ward, and Everything has all been invented, much like the first episode where Steven kind of wakes up from his period of being away and fighting Harrow for the first time, thinking that was a dream. Um, Mark is now seated in a psych ward thinking that he made up the characters of Stephen Grant, Khonshu, the Moon Knight. He's actually even holding a Moon Knight character. Layla is another uh, person in the psych ward. And so you, along with Steven, are left to wonder, is this actually all just some kind of psychological break? Um, but shortly thereafter, they kind of dispel that by having Mark find Steven in a, another side room and them, ex um, uh, finding another Egyptian god, the Egyptian god of the underworld. Uh, and that's how the episode ends. Um, the, the reason why they end up in that room, like I said, is because he gets shot by Harrow, um, to help Layla escape. But it's during that time also that you discover that Mark might have actually killed her dad um, when he was a mercenary. <coughs> so, excuse me. It's interesting to see how they weave together this stuff. There's a lot of content in these shows, but it doesn't feel like it. A lot of great acting, too. And so it's fascinating to kind of catch these elements. The fifth episode, I think, is my favorite. I, I'm not entirely sure if I was sold on the series until this episode. And here's why. Because... Um, you spend the entire time in the hallucination, um, so to speak. Uh, you find out that they're on a, a boat heading to the river, uh, to the field of reeds, um, which is the Egyptian afterlife, um, and their souls are being judged on the scales of Osiris. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of catch um, how during that time they go through this, and this is very similar for those of you who watched WandaVision to the episode where she is caught by Agatha and they kind of go down memory lane to figure out where she got her her powers as a witch, Wanda that is. And they go through all these different scenes in Wanda's life. Um, 
uh, all the way up until the very most touching one where uh, after um, after uh, Quicksilver dies, um, she's left to mourn and sit on her couch and things like that. And uh, Vision comes in and you know says that famous line, "What is uh, what is grief?" if not love persevering um and i'm sure i butchered it but you know it's something along those lines and it's it's so powerful and this this episode does that same thing you see steven's history you know all the people he he's killed but they go back even as far as he's him as a child and you see the scene of him and his brother randall going off to this cave to play as children and 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 mark um because uh, steven's watching mark as a kid and that's where you find out that that Stephen is actually uh, manifested during some of Mark's childhood trauma, and Mark is trying to keep Stephen from knowing about that trauma in a certain sense. And so, you know, you see Mark as a young kid taking his brother Randall because that's the primary identity you find out. Stephen Grant is an invented identity from a movie he used to watch. But the thing that happens that is just is profound is that um, you see Mark's pain as a kid and uh, his brother that as they go into that cave gets caught and drowns in the cave and the mom holds this little kid mark this little kid version of mark responsible and just treats him so poorly and um so like she will whip him with a belt she'll yell at him she'll she'll blame him to his face for his brother's death and it just causes him so much grief and sadness and pain that he creates kind of this this side character, Stephen Grant, um, to help him disassociate in those situations is healing. And he's so broken and, 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 and shambles. And, you know, like he doesn't want to go back. Mark doesn't, you know, Stephen wants to know what happened because he doesn't remember experiencing it, but Mark does. And so Mark is trying to protect Stephen from it. And you see like this, there's a scene where, where Mark is like hitting himself in the head and, and yelling that he doesn't want to go back and see any of that. He, he says, I'll tell you what happened. Please just, I don't want to see that again. And, you know, the, the memory they go back to is, is uh, Mark standing outside his mom's house um, at her um, viewing because she's died. And Stephen doesn't know. You know, Stephen's kind of finding out in real time that his mom has died. And if you remember, as I mentioned in the earlier episodes, he's calling his mom and talking to his mom on the phone every day. But again, this is uh, this is him disassociating, and so he doesn't know. And so there's this scene where Mark and Stephen are eye to eye, and he's just, um, you know, just in, Mark is in such great pain over everything that's happened. You know, the loss of his mom, the the loss of his brother, how he blames himself, and Stephen kind of looks at him in the in the face and he says you know it's like you know it's not your fault you were a kid you know you didn't you didn't mean to do that you know it's okay like you know that kind of thing and, and like that profound sense of healing um that comes from that moment and you kind of see that like the the kind of the overtaking of of steven in mark's life happens at around the time of his mom's funeral and so you get the Stephen Grant at the local Egyptian museum around the time that his mom dies, and uh, and it's always been there to protect Mark. And so, in that, in some sense, that moment, like Stephen, does a little bit of what Mark was wanting him to do, which is to help him heal, but not in the way that Mark was wanting—not to protect him from the pain, but allow him to feel it in a certain sense. And I think that's so 
powerful. There's a lot of other action stuff happening during this movie, like them trying to steer the boat um, to the right direction, get back to the, uh, you know, from the underworld, because it looks like um, Harrow has released Amit, and all these souls are coming down into the underworld, judged before their time of death. So they're trying to get back up there. They want to get a message to Layla to try and free Khonshu so that maybe Khonshu could resurrect them. Uh, and they fight and all that stuff. But <laughs> the real power of this episode is showing the humanity involved in this disassociative disorder. Um, and how Steven is is not just this weak character. He is, in some sense, Mark's strength. And not only strength in terms of fighting, but strength in terms of, like, um, healing to learn and to hear in his own voice that it's not his fault and that um, that this is you know it was an accident and that he can stop blaming himself is just so powerful um, and and I and I think that's fascinating and one of the things that happens toward the end of this episode and it kind of leaves it on this note is that you know both Mark and Stephen are present there in the afterlife heading to the field of reeds um, and if you fall over because this is an Egyptian thing. It, you're going on this boat through the sand dunes. If you fall over off the side of this boat with the god of death there, you get stuck in the sand and you die. And Steven, in the process of them fighting kind of off the the bad guys to get on the boat, because, long story short, they're going through this process of weighing the scales of Steven and, and Mark's hearts, because uh, much like how Amit can judge and see if you're bad... Osiris's scales can judge and see if you're good. And um, so the trip down memory lane is an attempt to try and tell the truth about their life that's been hidden from Stephen and Mark to some degree. And you you see a lot of it. You see Khonshu first recruiting um, Mark, and it's 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 powerful stuff. And, and you know, you feel that when Stephen falls over the side and it's just Mark heading to the field of reeds. You feel that loss, and, you know... I don't know where they're going to go with this. Like, I, I mean, Steven clearly dies in this episode. Um, and so I don't know where they're going to go with this. Mark is heading off to face an uncertain future because his heart was also judged as, um, as, uh, unworthy as well. And so that's kind of where they end it. And I, again, it's such a fascinating sort show. It tells so many great stories. There's a spiritual element that's with this because of the, the relationship to the gods um, how do we talk about death? How do we talk about hope? Um, what is justice, right? Uh, in some sense, you've got competing understandings of justice going on here, and can either really be right in the ways that they describe it? Because uh, Khonshu and Amit themselves seem like both deeply flawed characters. There's no perfect realm of justice. Even Khonshu, who's not Amit and wants to protect the innocent, still... Um, uses this character and f and breaks him in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think that's really, really interesting to see how, how that concept of justice happens. There's no justice as wholeness and restoration. There's only justice as punishment. Um, but also just this idea of mental health. I, I love films and shows that are able to show something really profoundly human uh, in people and, and not stigmatize people who have mental health um, concerns and things like that and and this show I, I think shows real beauty um, in what a person's pain can look like and how we all need healing I mean 
like this the sense of I mean the most powerful I think scene I've seen it, again no dialogue was done here is this Wanda vision where Wanda goes to that lot that vision bought her and you know has that little heart there that says to grow old in and you know you just feel her grief and pain um, at the loss of vision and in some sense like when you look and and you see Mark's face and you see Steven kind of holding his hand like hands uh, over Mark's face and saying you were just a kid like you can feel that emotion there's something real about that and in some sense you for a second you kind of are transported outside of a, a superhero movie or show uh, both in WandaVision and here and 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 you see something else this isn't just about superheroes or or armor or you know fighting of the Egyptian pantheon or even uh, a witch kind of developing her powers it's about human suffering and and the kind of beauty that can be found within it and not to make it and justify the suffering but i think in some sense it's it's a way of saying that like we see each other's humanity laid bare whenever we witness these profoundly human things and so in a moment you're kind of immediately invested in in steven as a character um and if you haven't already by that point it's a little bit hard because it's episode five you're about to end it and so you know <laughs> but I know a lot of people became invested in them as a result of this scene. And I think that's really profound. Um, so yeah, that's that's Moon Knight. Um, episodes 1 through 5, a little bit of an overview. I, I can't promise <laughs> that we will get to episode 6. I mean, I promised that we would do a week-by-week week thing. And here we are rolling through 5 episodes, one after the other. But I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. And so uh, hopefully next week um, you can hear my review of Moon Knight. Episode, episode six, it's the finale. It's a very short series, and this might be it for Oscar Isaac. And so I'm interested to see what happens to this character and how Moon Knight uh, gets out of this, and, and maybe maybe Khonshu too. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what, what's going to happen here. And so um, I hope you'll tune in. Let us know how we did. Is there something I missed in the show? Obviously, covering five episodes is not easy in this amount of time, but let us know what we missed. Um, love to hear your thoughts on this and um and maybe even the next episode if you want to help the podcast please uh leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast it really helps other people find us um look out for our uh, future stuff like i said next week hopefully we'll see moon knight episode six uh and then also a review of the multiverse of madness and and later in may you will see uh, our coverage of uh, beasts of no nation and so Stay tuned to the podcast, keep those notifications on, and we will see you next time here on the Art House Roadshow. Thanks, guys. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.